Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Numbers 28, Numbers chapter 28. Uh, we're in a series called Five on Five. Uh, we're looking at five lessons, each from the first five books of the Bible, and today we're finishing the book of Numbers. And uh, it's been, um, you know, a book that is often neglected, uh, pretty unfamiliar, and I, it's been my prayer that our time in the book of Numbers has really helped your eyes uh, to gaze upon Jesus, uh, to really worship him. Um, so we are finishing up numbers. We're in a, an odd part, a part that uh, uh, may not be uh, something that, that is often preached upon. Numbers 28. We're going to read verses 1 to 15, uh, but the whole section is chapters 28. Um, uh, we're going to read 28, 1 to 15, but the whole section is 28 to 29. So I'm just reading a, a snippet of it. If you have a Bible, you can keep it open uh, as we just kind of look over the rest. But uh, our sermon is entitled, A Lesson in Sacred Time. And so I invite you, if you are able, to stand. Uh, standing is an act of worship. It's because we read God's word and we receive God's word with reverence for God and his word. So Numbers 28, I'll be reading verses 1 to 15. Hear now the reading of his word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me as it, at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, a year old, without blemish, day by day as a regular offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a quarter of a hin of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Like the grain offering of the morning and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. At the beginnings of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Also three-tenths of an ephah of fine, fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil. For each bull and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram. And a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb. For a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hin of wine for a bull, a third of a hin for a ram, and a quarter of a hin for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Uh, dear friends, pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we know um, that your word requires more than just um, reading ability. It requires your Holy Spirit because your word is a life-giving word. Uh, we could read it for understanding and knowledge, uh, but we want to read it uh, in order to hear your voice and in order that our lives would actually be transformed as we uh, respond to you. So please, O oh Holy Spirit, attend the preaching of your word to make it um, not just instructive for us, um, but 
transformation uh, for us and in us. And help us, Lord, to listen and to hear, and in so doing, respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, whether you realize it or not, all of us are creatures of ritual and habit. Uh, we have things that we do um, that we regularly engage in, rhythms, routines, that kind of structure our lives. Um, we certainly have them in a daily sense. Uh, I'm sure many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth. When you go to bed at night, you brush your teeth. And so this rhythm, this habit of brushing your teeth is how we begin our day and we end our day. Um, also, even just think about your meal times. I mean, the way that our days are often organized, we work a bit in the morning, then we stop to eat lunch, and then we work a little bit more, and then we stop to eat dinner. And so these meal times end up becoming ways that our days are structured. Uh, weekly, some of you take your kids to uh, music lessons or sports practice or to uh, after-school tutoring. And so every day, of the, or every day of the, the same day of the week, you have this regular pattern. Uh, maybe some of you have weekly team meetings for your work, and so regularly scheduled times where you meet in person, over Zoom, or whatever it may be. Uh, monthly, there are monthly things we do. Uh, sometimes it's grabbing um, a special family meal together. Everyone's schedules, you know, so scattered, but once a, once a month we, we meet together. Maybe once a month you go and visit your parents or your grandparents. Uh, for some of you, maybe once a month is when you sit down and you take care of all your bills. You look at your finances, you do some budgeting. Um, yearly, don't we have these things uh, called holidays that we observe every single year? Family vacations, annual trips we go on, birthdays we celebrate, anniversaries that we remember. My point is that our lives are structured around time. And this is not um, just something that is random. I think it's actually built into us. Because as creatures made by God, uh, we're not only time-bound, as in we have a limited number of days, but we're also time-oriented. As those made by God, uh, we're not just subjected to time, but, but our lives are structured around time. And that's something you see in the Bible, because what God often does is he calls Israel to live a certain way, and the way he calls us to live is based around time. And so whether it's doing something daily, whether it's doing something weekly, monthly, or yearly, God structures Israel's life, their calendar, their schedule around certain sacred moments, sacred time. And in doing that, he helps Israel to remember or to rehearse or to rejoice in certain truths. And that's what we see in our passage today. God calling Israel to structure their calendars, their schedules, and their lives around sacred moments, sacred times. Our gospel truth, our point of meditation, the one-sentence summary that I'd like you to walk away with is this. Keeping sacred time with God helps you remember and rejoice in the gospel. Keeping sacred time with God, that helps you remember and rejoice in the gospel. You know, our passage in Numbers is so foreign all this talk about offerings and drink offerings and things that are burnt and pleasing aroma seems so distant from us. But the reality is that there's such incredible wisdom here. And part of that wisdom is to say that we as Christians, although we're no longer uh, Israel from the Old Testament, we as Christians can read this and we can learn something. We can be instructed. We can be edified. And that's when we understand that the sacred times Israel was called to observe and to obey are actually something that would be spiritually beneficial if we observed and obeyed.
So let's jump into our passage. Um, chapter 28 begins with God calling Israel to daily offering, to worshiping him through a daily offering. So let's uh, look at verses two and three. Here we read this. Command the people of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food for my offering, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, a year old, without blemish, day by day as a regular offering. And so day by day, meaning every single day, a daily sacrifice needed to be made by Israel. But it wasn't just daily. It wasn't just once a day. Verse four goes on to say, the one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Um, for those who work out, this is called two-a-days, <laughs> going to the gym twice a day. You're offering two sacrifices throughout the day. And this is important because twice a day, that means Israel was offering an unblemished sacrifice to God. And the lamb, it needed to be unblemished because the purpose of the lamb was to atone for or cover the sins of a blemished people. The sacrifice needed to be perfect because the people weren't perfect. And so the daily sacrifice of offering this to God really reminded people of this reality. It's a very humbling reality. And that was that every single day, Israel was an unholy people who dwelled in the presence of a holy God. The fact that sacrifices needed to be made every day drilled that into the people's head. God is holy and I'm not, and something needs to be done about it. It's a very humbling way uh, to live your life. On the other hand, the sacrificial system was God's idea. It was God's provision. And so the daily sacrifice reminded Israel not only that God is holy and I'm unholy and something needs to be done about it, but it also reminded the people every single day that God loves his people so much that he made a way, he made a provision so that he could dwell with them and they with him. And that is very gracious. That daily offering reminded God's people of two things, humility, I'm sinful, and God isn't, but also grace. God loves me so much. He made a way for me to dwell with him. It reminded them every single day of who God was and how much he loved them. It reminded them of who they were and how much they were loved by God. You, you see, this daily offering, scheduling into Israel's life, was a gospel reminder for them. Uh, you keep reading in Numbers 28, and we see that Moses goes on from listing the daily sacrifices to the weekly ones. So let's read in verses 9 and 10. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil and a drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So the Sabbath day for Israel was the seventh day. It would have been a Saturday. And so once a week, additionally to the daily offerings they were making, they needed to offer an additional weekly, unblemished, perfect sacrifice. Now, what was the purpose of that? If you're already offering daily sacrifices, why offer a weekly one if it's the same exact thing? Why the redundancy? You know, we know from a young age, parents, you teach your kids this, everyone else has been taught this at one point, that you brush your teeth twice a day. You do it in the morning, you do it in the evening. And so if you go to a dentist and she says to you, hey, remember to brush your teeth twice a day, none of you argue. 
None of you cast suspicion on her and saying, you know, is she, uh, you know, does she know what she's talking about or not? But let's say that you go to a dentist and she tells you as you leave, oh, by the way, one day a week you have to brush your teeth four times. You would ask, well, what does brushing my teeth four times accomplish that brushing my teeth twice doesn't? Because if you're telling me brushing my teeth four times is better for my teeth, then why don't I do that every single day? Why only once a week? You see, in the same way, the offering that was given on the Sabbath day, if it does the same thing, it represents a sinless, perfect lamb being sacrificed for a sinful, imperfect people, then why double it on the Sabbath day? Does it uh, offer like more sin insurance? Like it, it protects me just in case there was some leftover sin that wasn't forgiven? The answer is, is of course not. The reason God required this additional Sabbath weekly sacrifice was to set aside the Sabbath day as a holy day. It was to increase remembrance and honoring of that day. You see, uh, Israel, uh, they had, just like us, a seven-day week. But their work week was six days. It was the seventh day that they were called to rest. And what God is calling his people to is basically this. I want you to work for six days. I want you to engage in uh, these physical rhythms of working, but seize on the seventh but when they ceased from their earthly work, they needed to increase in their spiritual rhythms. You see, as they rested from earthly work, they needed to actually work harder to remember and to rejoice. And so offering this additional sacrifice, what it did for Israel was help them to really pause and remember even more the severity of their sin and the utter undeservedness of God's mercy. It's sad, but it's true that in our lives, when we do something every single day, after a while, we just go through the motions. You say, I love you to somebody, but after every single day for a few years, that I love you is equivalent to, hey, how's it going? If the daily offering, this reminder that they were sinners, but God loved them so much, ever became was reduced to just going through the motions. Once a week, Israel was called to wake up and to remember again in a special way, a set-apart way. God is holy, I'm not, but he loves me so much he made a way through the provision. That's what the weekly sacrifice did. Now, Numbers continues, and now it talks about a monthly offering. We read that in verses 11 following. Uh, verse 11 says, at the beginnings of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Okay. So if you're kind of following along here, God is requiring a daily sacrifice. Then he's requiring a weekly sacrifice. When you do the weekly sacrifice, you still do the daily sacrifice. So every month you're doing at least four weekly sacrifices. On top of that, now you're doing an additional monthly sacrifice. And in our sin and suspicion, we think, you know, like God is a shakedown artist. I mean, he's really just trying to get everything out of Israel as he can. At this rate, because God is requiring so much out of Israel, I mean, Israel needs to offer him, you know, everything on Old McDonald's farm and more, like just all the offerings, all the animals. It's just an incredible amount that God is requiring. And if you're like me, your thought to that is, man, God is so greedy. I mean, 
Oh, a daily sacrifice? Isn't that enough? Okay, a weekly sacrifice? Isn't that enough? How much more does he want? But here's the thing. God is not being greedy here. God is actually showing the depths of his generosity. Now, how does that make sense? What, what I'm saying is by requiring more from Israel once a month, God was actually showing the depth of his grace and his mercy for them. In such a way that every month as Israel offered their sacrifice, their heart would have been beaming with more gratitude. Now, if you're wondering at all how that makes sense, let me give you an example. Many of our members attend uh, Westminster Seminary, which is right down the road. Now, I attended Westminster as well. And so often when we talk, we, uh, we trade stories and, and talk about our experiences uh, and the different changes going on in the seminary. And uh, about a year or so ago, one of the students updated me on a change that had taken place in the seminary that really grieved me. It really troubled my heart. Um, it wasn't a change in their theology. Don't, don't worry about that. Uh, but it was almost as bad. It was a change in their tuition. This school had raised their tuition um, by far more than what is reasonable. Now, we all understand every year, if you send your kids to college, you're saving for your kids to go to college, you know that every year college tuition is increasing more and more. But the rate at which Westminster Razor uh, tuition was enormous. So let me be concrete. Uh, I attended Westminster 14 years ago. And um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it was $370 a credit. If any of you were to attend Westminster today, 14 years later, it is $1,000 a credit. Now, that is, to get your MDiv, your Master of Divinity, a $60,000 difference. Now, of course, when people heard that increase of tuition, everybody objected, everybody expressed, expressed their concerns, but the seminary had a response. The seminary said, this is why we're doing it. And the reason was that they were adopting what's called a true cost model of tuition, a true cost model. And so what they were saying is, whereas every seminary may say something like, oh, it's $500 a credit, what they're charging, what they're telling you the cost is, is what the student would actually pay after all of the donor support and scholarships were applied. But Westminster said, we're not going to do that. We're going to tell you the true cost of what a student uh, needs, to, uh, what it would cost for a student to take a credit of seminary education before any of the donations, before any of the scholarships were applied. Now, why did they do this? Because by revealing the true cost, the school was actually showing you the generosity of all of the donors, individuals, institutions, all of the various scholarships that were being pledged. And so if you know the true cost is $1,000 and then every semester you're only paying $500 of credit for tuition, you know in your heart and in your mind that there's an extra $500 that's being paid by somebody else. Somebody else is covering the cost for you. And it ignites gratitude and thanksgiving. In the same way, when God requires more for the monthly offering, he's not raising the requirement. God is actually showing Israel a closer glimpse, a truer glimpse of the true cost of their sin. If Israel was ever so tempted to be foolish to believe that, oh, two offerings of unblemished sacrifice, that's enough to cover our sin, God was correcting them. He was saying, you know what? Even the daily offerings, plus the weekly offerings, plus the monthly offerings, even that still falls way short of what actually needs to be paid to cover your sins. The question was then, who is covering the rest? 
If the price of sin is that high and Israel is only offering a few lamb, a few rams, and a few bulls, who was covering the rest? And the answer was God. God was covering the rest of the cost. God was the one so generous and rich in grace and mercy that he was willing to sacrifice pocket change, a handful of animals here and there. And in receiving that, he would choose to eat the rest of the cost himself and to forgive the people. So aware of this, Israel every month saw again and afresh the goodness of God's grace and mercy as they offered just a little bit more. The monthly sacrifice helped Israel remember the gospel. And then the chapter ends, going into chapter 29, with details about annual sacrifices, annual offerings. Now, these annual offerings were uh, things that were once a year. Uh, there's a list of them. Um, we read about offerings for the Passover, for the Feast of Weeks, for the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. Now, I'm not going to get into all of these, but here's what you need to know. Once a year, God was calling them to stop and to remember a very specific event of his work of salvation in their lives. Once a year, at various times, they needed to stop and remember this specific occasion, this specific event of how God had done a wonderful work in their lives, and they were to offer sacrifices. So God planned it all out. Daily, remember and rejoice in what I've provided for you. Weekly, remember and rejoice what I've provided for you. Monthly, remember and rejoice what I've provided for you. Annually, remember and rejoice what I have provided for you. God in his wisdom built these sacred times of remembrance and rejoicing into Israel's schedule, into their calendars, and thus into their lives. Okay, so what does this ancient text have anything to say about us as contemporary Christians today? And it means at least this. Keeping sacred time these daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly times. It's an important way to help us remember and rejoice in the gospel. Without them, we are so prone to forget. But there's good news. Because the good news is when you're called to keep sacred time, you don't have to offer up sacrifices. You see, when Israel offered up their sacrifices, it was a deep, humbling reminder that a price needed to be paid to fellowship with God. What price did you pay to come in fellowship with the Lord today? What animal did you bring to be slain at the door of this sanctuary? You see, but for Israel, it was a visible, tangible, physical reminder of the cost that needed to be paid. Because in order to have a relationship, between a holy God and unholy people, there is a price. You know, when uh, Eunice and I were, were dating, it was a long-distance relationship. She was in Northern Virginia, and I was here in Lansdale. And that meant that whenever we saw one another, a price needed to be paid. You see, in order to enjoy a relationship with her, in order to be together, one of us had to cover the cost of gas, of tolls, and of time, to cover the 400-mile trek and seven hours of driving that either one of us would have to do on a Friday. Somebody would have to eat the cost. Yeah, I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. and drive three and a half hours up north or down south, 
pay all the tolls, pay all the gas, and then at the end of the day, drive another three and a half hours back. In order to enjoy a relationship, somebody needed to pay the cost. It was expensive. It was time consuming. And yet, because the relationship was worth it, the price was gladly paid. The sacrifice was not too great. The cost was not too high. In the same way, for God Almighty to have a relationship with you and me, sinful, broken people, to be near us, to be with us, a price needed to be paid. Now for Israel, God arranged a temporary payment plan. He said, okay, here's what we're gonna do to cover your sin so you could be with me. I'm gonna arrange for a weekly, a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual sacrifice. That's 1,093 lambs, 113 bulls, 37 rams, and 30 goats a year. But even when God laid out that payment plan, even that wasn't enough. And God knew it, but it was okay because God had always planned to pay the true cost. God had determined that one day he would pay the cost, not with the slain blood of animals, but with the slain blood of his son. And for reasons that are beyond our understanding and comprehension, God looked at you. He looked you in the mess and the muck of your lives. He looked at you in all of your faults and failures, and he said, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want this so much that I'm willing to pay the price. And so our good and gracious God, merciful in all his ways, sent his son, the innocent, perfect, unblemished lamb of God, offered him up in our place. You see, dear friends, because Jesus was sacrificed for you, there never needs to be another sacrifice again. And through this once-for-all sacrifice, Jesus made obsolete the whole sacrificial system. In fact, he didn't just do away with Israel's sacrificial system. He did away with Israel's need for these annual, monthly, and weekly and daily offerings. Apostle Paul, it's very interesting, in the New Testament, he's reflecting on this. And he's talking about the gospel and all that Jesus has done and why the news is such good news. And this is what he writes in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What Paul is saying here is that the Old Testament observances and the offerings are now fulfilled in Jesus that the substance of all that the Old Testament was in shadows and all that is signified, the substance is fulfilled in the Savior. Paul's saying you no longer have to observe the festival, the new moon, or the Sabbath because Jesus Christ was offered up as your daily, weekly, monthly, and annual sacrifice. And this is good, good news. And because it's such good, good news, it actually makes it a greater tragedy when you take that good news of what God has done for you in Jesus and that good news is reduced to just news. And then that news is reduced, reduced even further to just information and Sunday school facts you have in your head. See, dear friends, it's because we have a forgetful heart that although we are no longer obligated to keep the sacred times because Christ has fulfilled them, 
it is still good for us because it helps us remember and rejoice in the gospel. As a church, we already incorporate three of the four. Weekly, every week we gather in the Lord's Day as we're doing today. We gather to remember and rejoice in Christ. We gather and we put a pause in everything else and we say this Sunday morning, we are declaring to ourselves, to others, to the world and to God that he is more important than everything else as we're gonna pause and remember every single week. Once a month, we gather and we say, we're gonna spend extended time remembering and fellowshipping with God through the Lord's Supper. We're gonna share in communion together. We're gonna remember the sacrifice was once for all because we're gonna take the body of Christ and we're gonna take the blood of Christ. And we say once a month, we're gonna keep the sacred time we're gonna remember and we follow it with a church lunch and a family meeting to say, Lord, we wanna remember Christ and rejoice in him this day. Then yearly, don't we have special services to mark very specific, unique, redemptive events of the gospel story? Christ's birth on Christmas, Christ's death on Good Friday, Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday. We have sacred, special moments throughout the year, annual remembrances where we come together and we rejoice in Christ. So there it is. The church is taking care of it for you. You're welcome. Weekly, monthly, annual sacrifices, times of remembrance but that still leaves keeping daily sacred time. And that's the responsibility that falls on you. I mean, call it what you will. I mean, you can sound extra holy and call it daily sacred time. You can call it QTs, quiet times, devotions, personal worship, time with God. doesn't matter. The point is that God has incredible wisdom in structuring and scheduling our lives around these times when we stop and we remember and we rejoice. And some of you have a resistance against it, maybe because of the way it was taught to you growing up, maybe the way that it was guilted over you and it was beaten over your head when you didn't do these things. But you need to understand, keeping daily sacred time with God is not legalistic. It just isn't. Because you know what? Sacred time with God, time spent with God, personal time spent with God, it's not something God needs from you. It's something that you need from you. It's something that your soul needs. It's something that your heart needs. Something that my wayward, wavering heart needs. Exposing ourselves and putting ourselves in the pathway of receiving and remembering and rejoicing in the gospel is not a religious work you offer God to impress him. It's not a good deed that gets you into heaven. It's a way for you to remember to your wandering soul and your wayward heart to rejoice in Christ. You and I live in a world of constant bombardment and distraction, interruption and temptations left to yourself. You will never just drift toward God, will you? There's something in the world that's always pulling and tugging at you. The world is always vying for your affections and your attentions. The world's always clamoring after your thoughts and your time. You know, the CEO of Netflix, uh, Reed Hastings, once said that the greatest competitor to Netflix was not another streaming platform. The greatest competitor to Netflix is sleep. Something is always after you, but more than just your attention span, more than just your views, more than just your likes, more than just your clicks and your purchases, they're after your soul, your very lives. And so you guard against all of this by making regular daily sacred times where you insist 
that nothing, absolutely nothing is more important than God. And I want you to really think about it. Think about the scene in number 28 and 29. Every morning, Israel woke up and they would smell the aroma of burnt offering throughout the camp. So from the very beginning of the day, they were aware that God's holy, I'm not, and yet he loved me to make a way for him to be with me. Every morning when they woke up and they smelled the burnt offering, they knew that before they had a chance to do anything for God, before they ever did anything impressive spiritually before him, he already loved them. Before they earned or merited any of his favor, he had given it to them freely. This is the gospel. This is what you can experience. You can start your day in the promise that God already smiles down upon you in complete pleasure because of Jesus Christ. You can wake up in the daily remembrance of the fact that God is pleased with you and you cannot add to what he feels about you even on the day where you kill it with your best spiritual performance ever. He loves you because he loves you. Daily sacred time in the morning reminds you of that and helps you rejoice in that. Then Israel that night would go to bed, and as they went to bed, they would sm smell the burnt offering again at night. And it would remind them that after a day of getting angry at their kids and losing it with their spouse and being jealous of their neighbors and living completely and utterly selfishly and disregarding thoughts and deeds and words and actions, Israel would still go to bed with the aroma as the assurance that as they slept, despite their faithlessness and their failures, God was still for them and not against them. That no matter how much of a mess they made that day with their choices and their decisions, they went to bed closing their eyes in the reassurance that God's grace and mercy covered their every offense, every mistake, every transgression, every iniquity, every failure, and every sin. This is the gospel. And this is the hope you and I can have. You can end your day with the assurance that God is more committed to loving you than you are committed to loving sin. And that nothing you do can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not even the worst spiritual performance of your life. This is why it's so good to schedule your lives and structured around keeping sacred time with God to remember and to rejoice in the gospel. Now, I may be preaching to the choir. Some of you may already be doing this. If you are, I commend you. I encourage you to keep doing it. This is a good work you're doing for your soul. But some of you, maybe you've never tried it. Maybe you've been suspicious of it and thought it was legalistic. Maybe you've tried, but you've been inconsistent and flaky at best. And I want to encourage you to start today. How? It's really simple. Read the word and pray. This is what I believe is best. I believe this is what the Bible says is best. Word and prayer. It's simple. Read a portion of scripture and then respond to it in prayer. Rinse and repeat. Read a portion of scripture, respond to it in prayer, and then repeat. Of course, if you're saying, well, that's a lot harder than it seems yet, you know my email, email me. I'll be more than happy to send suggestions, ideas, questions to ask, ways to go about this. But read and respond, repeat. Some of you go, well, I can't read. I just, I haven't read a book since high school and I just, I, I'm distracted. You know what? 
There's no shame in turning on your Bible app and listening and praying and repeating. Listen, respond, and repeat. Some of you are saying, well, I can't even do that. I don't have time to do all of this. Do you know the kids wake up before the crack of dawn and, you know, oh, my kids, they never sleep. And, oh, it's, it's a... Five verses of the Bible is just as inspired as the whole Bible. So read five verses. Respond in prayer and repeat. Read, respond, repeat. Now, I get it. Sometimes life isn't as scheduled and structured as you want it to be. Every day is a new battle. There are truly days, and it's not just an excuse, there are truly days you don't have time. There are truly days you don't have energy. There are truly days where you are so distracted and distressed that you can't get yourself to read the Bible. If this is you, keep the sacred time. But change it up. You see, a deer that pants after living water will drink of the water from any sorts as long as his thirst is satisfied. I believe word and prayer is the way, is the diet you should do. But if you can't, if you don't have energy or time for it, then don't just give up on it. Put yourself in a pathway of remembrance and rejoicing. And I want to give you just a few examples. First, pray an already written out prayer. There are two uh, particular um, prayer books that I recommend. One is called The Valley of Vision. It's Puritan Prayers. Uh, the other is by Scotty Smith. He has a blog called Heavenward. And he has daily written prayers. There's no shame in reading and meditating on another prayer and praying that back to God. He will hear that prayer from you just as much as he heard it from them. Read an entry of a daily devotional book. There are so many gospel-centered daily devotional books. If you really, really struggle, and that's your excuse for not reading the Word of God, then read a daily devotional book. I'd be happy to recommend any. Meditate on a hymn or a worship song. You don't have 30 minutes. Of, that's fine. Cornerstone, luckily for you, has a Spotify playlist. Of all the songs we sing, go on that, pick a song, look up the lyrics, and meditate on it and pray it back to God. Next, worship, sing, and play praises. Some of you have been given God-given gifts to play your instrument wonderfully. Use that. Some of you, maybe the Lord kind of skipped over you with God-given gifts to play an instrument. But through Christ, it's still pleasing sounds to him. Worship, play. Rejoice, remember the gospel through music. Listen to a gospel-rich sermon. You know, never in history has there been such a rich and full uh, storehouse of Christ-exalting preaching that is available than today. And tomorrow when, there is, when it's Monday and all the preachers have preached on Sunday and it's recorded, there will be even more tomorrow. Avail yourself to that. Next, ask somebody, a spouse or a friend, to read scripture and pray together. Maybe you're finding it really, really hard to do it alone. Well, then do it with somebody else. Lean into accountability. Ask for assistance. Be blessed. It's not like God has 100% uh, blessing prepared for you, and if you do it with somebody else, then you only get 50% of it. Lean into accountability. Pray and read with somebody else. Practice family worship with your kids. If you're already doing that, and after that, you're finding yourself so exalted. That, that's worship too. 
apart from the Bible, this one of the second most books I've ever been blessed by is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a children's book with pictures and all. But the Bible that the kids read, the God that they're reminded of, and the grace that they're taught is the same God and grace that you need. So take family worship and turn it into personal worship. And maybe one last suggestion, memorize a Bible verse or two. If you can't sit down, you don't have time to read a portion, you're driving, you're constantly on the road, then seal a verse of scripture on your heart, keep it in your mind. You know, one verse that's marinating in your soul is better than 10 chapters that skimmed over with your eyes. Write the word of God on your heart, memorize it. I just did a shotgun of suggestions, but my point is simply this. No matter what obstacle the day presents, and it will present many obstacles, keep daily sacred time with God. But don't keep it to please him. He's already pleased with you in Christ. But maybe you need to keep it so that you may be reminded that he is pleased with you in Christ. Keep it so that you would know the gospel. You would rejoice in the gospel. Know that God was wise to call his people to regular routine and repetitive rhythms to structure their lives around him. He was wise to do that. Now go and discover the wisdom there is in keeping sacred time with God. Let's pray.